because of the fact that Nagelsmann had them as the favourites for all three competitions, anything short of winning a treble could now be seen as failure because Nagelsmann was arguably on the course to doing that and Tuchel now has the very hard job of somehow managing to match that. Hello and welcome back to the Going Deutsch podcast, a look at the wonderful world of German football brought to you by someone who's actually been to Germany now. I'm sure you were very excited to find out how I got on in the country after mentioning it very briefly on last week's podcast. And yes, it was a really nice trip, thank you for asking. Of course, I'm sure you'll have many questions about the trip how was the public transport to the Stadion and Alta first arrived in Berlin? What was the best fact I learnt on the St. Pauli Stadium tour? How much currywurst can a man eat in one week? And did I pick up a German accent? The answer to some of those questions may or may not be revealed during this podcast. But anyway, yeah, it was really nice and ironically... I probably watched less German football as a result because I was actually trying to be a tourist and stuff and, you know, enjoy what both Berlin and Hamburg had to offer. But I did, of course, watch some German football. I got there for the DFB Pokal. I raced to the hotel on Tuesday so that I could watch Eintracht Frankfurt against Union Berlin in the DFB Pokal. And I watched the other, well, two of the other three games because Nuremberg Stuttgart wasn't on public television, which was deeply annoying. And I was able to watch some of the Bundesliga games of the weekend as well. And of course, I watched one of the Spider Bundesliga games, which is the main thing to talk about once again in this episode. But welcome to the show today. I hope you're doing well. I hope this podcast finds you in good health as per usual. A lot to get into, a lot of exciting stuff to get into. It was a really good weekend of football in the end, and I don't just say that as a biased fan of a certain Spider Bundesliga club who are doing particularly well at the moment, but also there were a lot of good games in both leagues and some good games for the DFB Pokal as well. One really notable good game and then one really notable bad game, which we will be discussing later on in the podcast. But as per usual, we are going to start off with the Bundesliga and we're going to start off with what for me was the best game of the Bundesliga this weekend. Mines 2, Werder Bremen 2. It was 0-0 entering the 85th minute. It had not been bad up until that point. It wasn't like a boring 0-0. You know, we, we say this, and we've said it many times for there uh, being entertaining nil-nils, and this was one of them in all fairness. There were a few really good moments in this game before the actual goal started flying in. Mines did also have a goal disallowed earlier on, I believe in like the 60th minute or so for offside. But it says a lot about the end of this game, that even with Bayern and Dortmund playing at the same time, this was the most fascinating fixture from the 3.30 kickoffs on Saturday. Mines made it 1-0 in the 85th minute. Ludovic Jork continuing his really good recent form. It's four in his last six for him. Absolutely fantastic. But Jan Stey would make it one all in the 87th minute with a header for Werder Bremen. Just as I believe it was Derek Ray on commentary was saying, oh, it looks like Mines are going to be able to hold on for the win. He didn't even get to finish that sentence before Werder had equalised, which was absolutely fantastic. 
but it looked like, again, that Mainz had won the match of the 93rd minute when Nelson Viper would get onto the end of a loose ball. Really not ideal defending from Werder Bremen. The ball pinballing around. We'll get on to that again with the next goal. But, you know, the ball sort of like pinballing around the box and Viper being able to just get a foot on it to slot it past Yuri Pavlenka in the Werder goal. I think we've mentioned this before, but he was born in 2005, Nelson Viper, which, you know, is a bit depressing for people like me. But anyway, just two minutes after that goal, yet again, Werder would get an equaliser. And of course, come if you come for man, it was only be one person for Werder, Niklas Fulkrug with a open chance in the box. Again, Mainz had sort of struggled to defend it and pinballed around in the box and it fell perfectly into the path of Nicholas Fulkrug was able to slot into the net for his 16th goal of the season. Absolutely sensational from the Werder striker. So that's sort of like the basic X's and O's as to how the final few minutes of the game transpired. But to be honest, without watching how that game went, it's hard to really get across how exciting it was to see these two sides go back and forth so dramatically in the final few minutes. It was a really good end to the game. It was absolutely fantastic. And like I said, the game before the goal scoring started... Past the 85th minute, of course. 85 minutes of action without a goal. But it was still a really fascinating game up until that point. And, of course, you have both Svensson and Ole Werner going up against each other. Two of the more impressive managers in the Bundesliga this season. I think it's safe to say, though, I will admit that I'm quite biased towards Werder. So, maybe, maybe you don't think that. But a really entertaining game. Both sides playing really good attacking Football throughout, honestly, I wish this game could have gone on for another hour or two. It would have been absolutely fantastic. Mines continuing in the race for Europe. They're level on points with 7th place Eintracht Frankfurt. Two points behind by Leverkusen in 6th. Meanwhile for Werder Bremen, they're edging towards safety, right? I, I don't want to be too sort of strong on sort of declaring them safe because we all remember what happened to Werder Bremen Last time they were in the Bundesliga, and I'm pretty sure back when we did the Beautiful Game podcast here, they were relegated. At one point, we said, well, they're safe now. So, you never know what could happen over the next seven games, but you would assume that one win absolutely guarantees their survival. They're currently nine points clear of 16th place Stuttgart with seven to go. So, I think, for me, a win absolutely guarantees safety now. For Werder Bremen, but what a fantastic game! And of course, Nicholas Fulkrug, 16th of the season, barring a really good run from like Rando Colomorani or Jamal Musiala or something like that, he's going to end up as the league's top goal scorer. Absolutely sensational! All aboard both the Mines and Werder Bremen fan trains. Welcome to Stuttgart 3, one of the more intriguing Bundesliga games for the weekend on paper, entering it not only because this was a relegation six-pointer, but also because you had a manager making his debut for his new club, as mentioned on last week's podcast. Sebastian Hernes is now the manager at Stuttgart. He was taking charge of his first Bundesliga game with VfB. Obviously, he was involved in DFB Pakal action in midweek, which we'll be talking about later on in the episode. But this was his first match in the Bundesliga, a very important match as well, considering how 
poorly Stuttgart have been playing recently in the Bundesliga and also the fact that obviously Bochum are a side who they should be able to compete against. This was a massive game and it was a massive three points for Stuttgart as well, taking them off bottom of the league and moving them into the relegation playoff place. They're now just three points behind Bochum in 15th as well. They opened the scoring in the 14th minute to Roki Ito with a great finish, smashing it off the crossbar and going in. Manuel Veeman didn't get a hand to this, but to be honest, that's probably a good thing because I think if he had made contact with the ball, it would have taken his hand off. So, you know, some things are more important than a clean sheet, and keeping your hand intact, I would argue, is one of them. So, really good that Riemann wasn't able to get his hand <laughs> to that ball. Anyway, in the second half, Bochum would equalise for the 58th minute. They got a penalty. Philip Furster fouled in the box. The penalty was scored by Kevin Sturger. Both of them, by the way, used to play for Stuttgart. So, you know, not the best goal to witness if you're a Stuttgart fan. It's, it's annoying enough if you see a former player score against your club. It's even more annoying if the former player scores a penalty that was given because another former player of your club was fouled for it. It's a tad bit on the light side, but I I think it probably was a penalty. Anyway, Stuttgart would then do to Bochum what they did to Mainz twice, scoring two minutes after they had scored themselves. And the next two goals for Stuttgart, coming in the 60th and 63rd minutes, were almost identical. The first one, Borna Sosa crossing into the box and seeing Segurassi volley in that cross really helped by the fact that the Bochum defenders were ball-watching. It was absolutely not what you want to see from a Bundesliga defence, or really any defence, because, you know, kids are taught not to ball-watch when <laughs> balls are being crossed in, so you, you think a Bundesliga side be a tad bit better. But they did the same thing for the next goal as well, because they were ball-watching this time as Enzo Milo would cross in from pretty much the same position as Sosa did, for the head of Joshua Wagnermann, he was wide open in the middle of the box. Riemann misjudged his attempt to run out and punch the ball clear. And it made it a very easy header for Wagnermann to get into the back of the net. To make it 3-1 to Stuttgart so quickly after Bochum had equalised to make it one all. Bochum would get a goal back in the 85th minute, Philip Hoffman scoring, but it wasn't enough in the end, and Stuttgart would hold on for the win in a very entertaining match. Obviously, it was previewed as one of the more intriguing matches of the weekend, heading into it with Sebastian Hurness, with this being relegation six-pointer. It really did live up to the billing. It was a really good game of football, and Stuttgart just looked so much better in this game than they did in any game under Bruno Labbadia. This was easily such a better performance than any game they had under Bruno Labbadia. It's honestly embarrassing for him. It is fair to caveat that with the fact that in this game, Sebastian Hernes had Borna Sosa, Silas and Teo Garassi coming back for the first time in a while. They were all out for decent stretches of Bruno Labbadia's time at Stuttgart, but not for the entire stretch. So... The, the thing is, for me, the thing that makes this worse for Labadier is that Hernes didn't, like, completely overhaul the squad and change everything. He just made 
simple adjustments. He recognised what he had with his Stuttgart side and he picked a formation and tactics that suited that side. We mentioned this on the last episode, we mentioned it on a few episodes, that Bruno Labbadia didn't seem to want to fit his tactic to this Stuttgart side. He wanted to stubbornly play what he's always played, regardless of whether that worked with his side or not, and it really didn't work. Sebastian Hernes actually, he played a similar tactic to what he played at Hoffenheim. I think it was the same formation that he played at Hoffenheim, with the 3-5-2 sort of look. But he sort of adjusted it to how this Stuttgart side performing what their strengths are and it paid dividends they are not safe by any measure but they have so much of a better chance of surviving with Sebastian Hernes at the helm than they did with Bruno Labbadia this is a really promising start for Stuttgart they played this game really well they did deserve to win and yes they did capitalize off really poor Bochum defending for two of their three goals but this is the most optimistic Stuttgart fans can be since Jesus, ages. For Boca, meanwhile, defensively, they just weren't good enough. They were making basic mistakes. Riemann was bad. The whole back four were bad as well. I don't think anyone really gets to escape blame in this one. They deserve to lose just for their defending alone. Augsburg won, Köln 3, another good game between two sides, struggling at the wrong end of the table. The scoring opened in the seventh minute, Elias Shakiri. A goal originally disallowed for offside but overturned by VAR. It was good work from a free kick with Shakira again wide open right in front of goal. He was onside by, an, actually no it wasn't him who was offside. It was Julian Chabot who was originally flagged for offside. But he was onside by an armpit. But, you know, not going to complain about that of course. Eric Martel would then make it 2-0 for Köln in the 16th minute, getting his first Bundesliga goal by going through the legs of Giekowitz in the Augsburg net. Really good finish from him. Then in the 29th minute, Augsburg would pull one back, Ruben Vargas scoring, Linton Minero making it 3-1 in the 59th minute. Köln, it will fail to surprise you, really deserve victory in this one, easily the better side, they had a strong start to the game going 2-0 up early on, and then the adjustments made by Stefan Baumgart through the rest of the game essentially neutralised Augsburg and made sure that FCA were able to coast to a good victory. It's rare that Köln score, it's rare that they score three. They last scored three in a 3-0 win over Frankfurt on match day 20. Since then, between match days 21 and 26, they had only found the back of the net one time, and that was a goal in the game against Borussia Dortmund, which you might remember was completely meaningless because Dortmund scored six. <laughs> so, you know, Köln haven't been doing a lot of the old goal scoring recently, but to score three against Augsburg, really, really good, sort of blew up out of nowhere, did how they were playing Augsburg, of course, and, you know, I mentioned Werder Bremen in 2020-21, earlier on, when we are talking about Werder Bremen Mines. I think if there's any side who are likely to do a repeat performance of what Florian Koyfout and Werder Bremen did that year, it is Augsburg, because they did get off to a decent start. They looked like they were clear of relegation battle. We said that a couple of weeks ago on this podcast, and went, yeah, you know, this 
decent run of form recently means they're probably going to survive the drop. While now, they have suddenly started to implode. And we sort of thought Kiln's bad form was going to drag them into relegation battle. I think if any side are going to be dragged into relegation battle, it is going to be Augsburg. Only on 29 points at the moment. And the gap to relegation places is starting to decrease rapidly. They're now only 6 points clear of 16th place Stuttgart with 7 games to go. And with the form of the sides below them, particularly Stuttgart, well, you know, it's one game. But with Stuttgart expected to be better, and with Hoffenheim doing particularly well, we'll get on to them in a bit, it feels like Augsburg could really be dragged into that battle. They still need at least two wins to really guarantee safety. Does it look like we're going to get two wins between now and the end of the season at the moment? Not really. So... Enrico Marsen has got a lot of figuring out to do if he wants to keep Augsburg in the Bundesliga. For Köln, meanwhile, like I said, a good performance. They're not safe yet. They're only on 31 points, but they really needed this. They really needed a good performance where they were able to score lots of goals with their recent goal-scoring problem with their bad form. This is going to really help lift confidence at the Rhine Energy Stadion. Four more points pretty much keeps them up. And with how they played in this game, you wouldn't put that past them. Hoffenheim 2, Schalke 0. According to reports before the game, there were 15,000 Schalke fans in the Prezero Arena for this matchup. They they frankfurted it, essentially. They, they did what Eintracht Frankfurt did to Barcelona last year, but on a slightly smaller scale not that much of a smaller scale in all fairness 15,000 fans on away game that's half recorded attendance at the stadium if that's right and it did look right because there was footage before the game of Schalke fans chanting and clearly in the home end it looked like that might actually be the case unfortunately 15,000 fans would show up, but the 11 players on the pitch did not because Schalke were truly abysmal in this game. Hoffenheim scoring twice, Alex Kral with an own goal in the 22nd minute before Elias Babu would score a penalty in the second half. The first attempt was saved by Val Farman, who did play well in this game, but he was off his line. The penalty was taken and Babu would score. Farman is the only player who deserves compliments on this game for Schalke. And by the way, actually, has just reminded me that before this game, Schalke apparently had the second best defence in the Vukrunder because of Farman, which is absolutely sensational. After Kate Gates to go to this, absolutely fantastic from him. But anyway, this game was played on Easter Sunday. Schalke could have played through to Christmas and they wouldn't have scored. They were truly abysmal they've dropped back to bottom of the Bundesliga it's the 13th match day of the season where Schalke have been bottom and the first since match day 22 you got to say that when it comes to being last no one is better than Schalke are <laughs> but yeah really bad from them and at the moment I wouldn't have any faith in them doing anything luckily you know they're still well, at least close to Stuttgart in the relegation playoff place. Only two points behind Stuttgart in 16th. They're now five points behind Bochum in 15th, though. For Hoffenheim, well, we mentioned a while ago when we... I think we mentioned every week since, but that Hertha Berlin game was reportedly a win-or-get-sacked situation for Pellegrino Matarazzo. And he has won three on the bounce since. He has really turned around that Hoffenheim side and... 
They did benefit from Schalke just being utter garbage. But at the same time, three wins in a row is three wins in a row. And accounts for nearly a third of their points this season. So he does deserve a lot of credit for turning around this Hoffenheim season. And while they're only five points clear of Stuttgart with seven to go. But it does feel like with this momentum on their side, they are probably going to be safe in the Bundesliga for another season. So well done to Pellegrino Matarazzo on turning Hoffenheim around. Borussia Dortmund 2, Union Berlin 1, a game where we saw a contrast of styles, unsurprisingly. Borussia Dortmund trying to play their free-flowing attacking football, Union Berlin wanting to grind out a 1-0 win. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but... It did feel like Borussia Dortmund had the better of this game for the most part. They did open the scoring as one of the 28th minute. Daniel Marlin getting on to the end of a great assist from Rafa Guerrero, who recently picked up the Bundesliga Player of the Month award for March. He has been so much better in the Rook Runder. He has been one of the real improvements in this Borussia Dortmund side. And obviously, going into the break, the end of the first half of the season, we were talking about how they probably should be moving on, left-back's a priority in the transfer window, but while it looks like they might be signing Rami Bantabani anyway, but Guerrero has shown that he is perfectly capable of being a great team player for Borussia Dortmund, and this game, another example, he was phenomenal in this matchup. Kevin Behrens would equalise for Union Berlin in the 61st minute, playing a good 1-2 with Gerardo Becker before neatly scoring. Erdin Terzic, though, if there's been one thing that's been notable about his improvement as a manager over the last few months, it's that he's been making better substitution decisions. His tactics have been better in general, but... When it comes to replacing players, he's been making the right choices at the right time. One of them was to bring on Yusofa Makoko in the 74th minute. Just five minutes later, the young substitute would get onto the end of a loose ball to score. Makoko becoming the youngest player to make 50 Bundesliga appearances. Absolutely sensational from the striker. He's been so good for Borussia Dortmund so far this season. Kind of like what I said at the beginning of this review, if you looked at the statistics, you would think Borussia Dortmund dominated this match and that they were unlucky to only win by one. But to be honest, I think Union Berlin had a set idea of how they wanted to play before this game. They wanted to be more defensive, going to the Westfalen Stadion against such a dominant attacking side. I think they knew that... They were really only going to be able to get good chances by soaking up pressure and hitting Dortmund on the counter-attack. It didn't work for them in this game, but they are still obviously playing phenomenally. They're still third in the league. Obviously, if they had won this game, they would have been Bayern's closest rivals in the title. They would have been on 54 points, Dortmund on 53. As it stands, I think this kills off Union's realistic title hope. So, to be honest... I don't know how realistic they were in the first place, right? It's always nice to dream, but come on. They're going up against Bayern Munich. It would have been, like I said on the podcast weeks and weeks ago, it would have been the greatest upset in football history if Union Berlin had won the Bundesliga. But seven points behind now with seven games to go. Barring a Bayern Munich implosion, it's unlikely. For Dortmund, though, still two points behind Bayern, obviously after last time... But they are keeping in touch. This was going to be a tough game 
for them against some of the best sides of the Bundesliga. They did ride out that test, and they did deserve all three points. By Leverkusen, three. Eintracht Frankfurt, one. I like the Bundesliga website as much as anyone else, but to be honest, I saw an article today saying... I think it was like six reasons why Chabi Alonso's Bayer Leverkusen could make Europe, or five reasons. It was along those lines, though, and I was like, well, I've got one reason for you. They're currently in a European place at the moment with seven games to go. So that seems to be quite a strong reason as to why they could make Europe. It was just a weird article. It wasn't like, here's why Union could surprise and win the Bundesliga, which would be unexpected it was pointing out the sort of really obvious and well at the moment likely situation in Bayer Leverkusen making Europe and this was a very sort of stereotypical Bayer Leverkusen performance under Chabi Alonso it it matches a lot of our wins so far this season the first goal being the most common way for Bayer Leverkusen to score I mean Adley breaking through the defence with breakneck pace to get through one on one the keeper and slot in they've been so good at those fast breaks especially since Chabi Alonso took over they just kill you with their speed and if they're not killing you with their speed they're killing you with amazing pinpoint passes that was the case for the second goal Moussa Diaby getting on to the end of a really good through ball by Florian Wirtz to double by Leverkusen's lead. Dribble also would get one back for Eintracht Frankfurt in the 75th minute, but then Sardar Asmoon would score in the 90th minute, his fourth goal in his last five games. It was an interesting goal, because Daly St. Graven just tried to clear the ball randomly anywhere in by Leverkusen's half, and to be honest... Christian Jakic really should have done more than what he did, but he sort of just dilly-dallied with it and allowed Asmoon to go to the end of the ball, run through one-on-one with the keeper and score one of the easiest goals of his career. Four in his last five, absolutely phenomenal from Asmoon, considering that before this run he hadn't scored since, like, last April. This is quite a... Or was it last June? No. This is quite a turn-up for the Bucks. So yeah, Bayer Leverkusen winning in the way that they've won a lot of their games so far this season. Chabi Alonso has to be in contention for coach of the year because they were very bad when he took over. 17th in the league, they're now 6th, holding on to a Europa League spot. Well, at the moment it's a Europa Conference League spot where it's most likely going to become a Europa League spot. And playing exceptional football, so to be honest... It would not be even remotely a surprise for made Europe at this point. That article would have made sense about two months ago. Maybe it was actually published when I've just put it back onto the homepage on the Bundesliga website. But yeah, I would be surprised now at this point if by Leverkusen were unable to reach European football once again next season. Borussia Mönchengladbach 2, Wolfsburg 0. Wolfsburg started off really well in this game. It looked like they were going to get something out of it. Omar Mamouche would have a goal disallowed in the 10th minute for offside. Side note, boo. Don't disallow Omar Mamouche goals. He's fantastic. But after that disallowed goal, it sort of woke up Borussia Mönchengladbach. And they were much better through the rest of the game. They were the better side. Overall, Nathan Ngunmu scoring his first goal in the Bundesliga. Started off with a really poor pass out from Cohen Castells. Borussia Mönchengladbach countering Ngunmu with a really neat finish after cutting inside the defender. Marcus Turam 
would head home in the second half. Alisson player headed the ball across to him for that header. And really good finish from him. The two French stars of Gladbach connecting well. They did ride their luck at the beginning of the game. It felt like they were going to struggle through this matchup. You know, probably expected Wolfsburg to win beforehand. That's what the opening minutes of the game felt like as well. But once Gladbach got into the ascendancy, Wolfsburg did struggle. It is vital points dropped by De Wolfer in the race for Europe. They're on 39 points. They're two points behind Eintracht Frankfurt in 7th and four behind Bayer Leverkusen in 6th. Freiburg nil, Bayern Munich one. <sighs> well, well, we'll get on to the main game between Freiburg and Bayern Munich later on in the podcast. But in this one, Matthias de Ligt with the only goal of the game. And there was a bit of controversy after the full-time whistle because Joshua Kimmich celebrated a bit too keenly and wasn't appreciated by the Freiburg players. It is worth saying that he did apologise afterwards. He said that the... What happened in midweek had affected him and more on that later and that he just felt this sense of relief and that he took it a bit too far. And that's fair enough. Also worth pointing out, we'll get on to this later on, but Jamal Musiala also apologised for actions from midweek. So we'll be talking about that more in the DFB Pakal review, but I thought I'd mention it now just in case I forget. Anyway, one thing I couldn't forget would be Christian Strike in the post-game press conference talking about the pressures managers face. I I don't really want to talk too much about what he said, if only because I want you to go and read what he said, because it was absolutely fantastic. But essentially, he talked about the pressures on managers in the modern day and the constant hire and fire culture that a lot of clubs take, both in Germany and, of course, beyond. And he talked about how, quote, neo-capitalism destroys people, unquote. He said a lot more than that. That was the sort of comment that really took people's notice, but the answer he gave was like five minutes long. And I could not do it justice here, except for if I wanted to read it word for word. So I would highly recommend going and finding what he said online because it was an absolutely just marvellous answer. And honestly, if he wasn't a football manager, I think he'd be a professor at Freiburg University because it was just marvellous how much detail he went into and how, how passionate he is about what he said. And yeah, just just go and read what he said because it was absolutely... Even if it's not a point that you think you'll agree with, and there'll be a lot of people who don't agree with it, but even if it sounds like something you won't agree with, don't read it anyway because it might allow you to look at somebody else's perspective and that's always a good thing. But anyway, yeah, fantastic answer from Christian Strike there. Hertha Berlin nil, Leipzig one. Final game to mention, this was the... 6.30pm kickoff on Saturday, so this is the only game on at that time. All eyes descending on the Olympia Stadion in Berlin, and I don't know why they picked this game to be in that slot to be the only game that people could watch from the Bundesliga at that time, because, I mean, the results seemed pretty obvious, right? It was a really weird choice, and the Bundesliga or Sky, whoever made that decision, were rewarded with a really bad game. The only goal coming from Haidara. It was deserved a win for Leipzig, but neither side played well. This was a really sloppy game of football from both of them. It was really low quality in general. 
And compared to the game we're going to talk about in midweek for Leipzig, the performance here was just dire. It was absolutely dreadful. But they were still significantly better than Hertha Berlin. Not that that's particularly an achievement. Hertha had 11 shots in this game, just one on target. I feel like that sort of sums up their problems. Meanwhile, Leipzig were just bad themselves, but who cares? They got three points. So let's have a look at the Bundesliga table then. After 27 match days, Bayern Munich lead the way 58 points, two points ahead of Borussia Dortmund on 56. It's on a five point drop down to Union Berlin on 51 in third, Leipzig on 48 in fourth. Round out the Champions League places fifth, Freiburg 47 points, sixth by Leverkusen 43, seventh Eintracht Frankfurt 41, then Mainz on 40. Wolfsburg on 39 in the European race. At the wrong end of the table, Schalke dropped back to the bottom of the league. 21 points from 27 games. One point behind Hertha on 22 in 17th. Stuttgart on 23 are in 16th. Bochum 26 are in 15th. Hoffenheim 28. Augsburg 29. Köln 31. And Werder 32 are the other teams in the relegation battle. Though I think you could... Maybe argue about Werder and Köln. Both of them feel like they're a win away from fully securing their survival now. Okay, it's now time to tend to the Spiter Bundesliga. And of course, there is only one place we can start. Heidenheim nil, St. Pauli won. It is St. Pauli's 10th win in a row. Oh my god. Oh, I am absolutely loving this. I was fortunate enough to be able to watch this game at the Milan Tour in the clubhouse. Obviously, St. Paulo were about 650 kilometres away in Heidenheim. So, you know, not a simple short train ride from Hamburg. But I am at least now able to claim that I have technically watched a game at the Milan Tour. And I will take that. I am more than happy with that. It was a, a good atmosphere. And... A stressful but really good game in the end. The only goal coming from Marcel Hartl. An amazing hit into the top corner from just inside the box. I highly recommend going and watching it if you haven't had the chance to. But of course I would recommend that because you may have noticed I am a St. Pauli fan. So it was absolutely phenomenal though. St. Pauli did make it tad bit hard for themselves at points and they did have many good chances to put the game to bed there was one point where Heidenheim almost did what Castells did playing it straight out to Lucas Dashner that was obviously Heidenheim's keeper Kevin Muller played it straight out to Lucas Dashner all he had to do was you know take it to one side and then slot it round him and he didn't he panicked David Otto, when he came on late on the game, had two really good chances to make it 2-0. And just to make my heart rate a bit lower, one where, honestly, he should have just played it off to Dapo off a lion, but he went for the shot himself and hit the bar. And then a second one where he was 1-1 one -on -one for the keeper, and honestly, I probably would have scored it. And I feel like everyone who says something like that massively overestimates their ability, but to be honest, it was a really bad miss. Uh, hit it straight at the keeper. All he had to do was hit it slightly to the side. It would have gone in and, and he just couldn't do it. But you know what? No need to complain because St. Pauli have won their 10th game in a row. There, there were so many other things I was had to complain about as well. 
particularly about how foul rules don't seem to apply to Dapo Afalion. Like, if you just kick him, it's like, yeah, it's fine. But anyway, nope, stop stop moaning. Won, your team have won 10 in a row. Just stop complaining. It was a phenomenal match. And it's really... This is the sort of game that St. Pauli just wouldn't have had a chance in, in the first half of the season. They would have had some awful thing go against them. They would have been completely unable to take any of our chances at all. They would have lost the game. But this St. Pauli side, they are different from the one we saw in the Hinrunder. And it's hard to stress just how much of a shock this is compared to... Like I said at the time in the, in the Hinrunder, I said that they were, you know, better than their record suggested. But I didn't think they were this much better than their record suggested. They have just been a different side under Fabian Herzler. Give a lot of credit to him and give a lot of credit for being able to manage this sort of expectation because as they've won more and more games and as the gap to the top three has become narrower and narrower, he's been able to keep them feeling calm. He's kept calm, you know, even when they scored to go one up in this game, he was, you know, completely flat. I would not want to play poker with him because he would absolutely wipe the floor with me. And, uh, yeah, it's honestly hard to find the words for just how great this St. Pauli side have been in the Rook Runder. They are absolutely amazing. I feel like it was last week, friend of the pod and co-host of A Thousand Hours, Alex Towles, asked me if I dared to look up. And I gave a non-committal sort of answer saying, well, you know, they've got Heidenheim and HSV coming up and those are the two big games. Well, they've now beaten one of them and the gap to Heidenheim is now four points. It still feels unlikely, right? Because there are seven games to go. Heidenheim are a really good side. Unless St. Pauli win out, which if you think winning 10 in a row is unlikely, winning 17 in a row, a bit more improbable than that, it feels like Heidenheim are probably going to hold on. But still, I I feel like I have to keep in mind myself the message I gave out a few weeks ago, which is for, you know... It's a shame this came a bit too late, but let's just enjoy it for what it is. It was at first just hoping that they could avoid relegation and, oh, maybe this one takes them out of any real relegation danger, let alone the idea that they could compete for promotion. So even if they do come short, this has still been remarkable from St. Pauli. And I think we've also got to remember as well that we're expecting them to take a step back this year anyway. And well, for most of the season, like they were going to take a step back, but now... It looks like they could improbably take a step forward and going into next season that would mean a big confidence boost for the players who are still there. So I don't want to get carried away. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's clear. I also remember what I said last year about when I finally said, Oh, they're in the promotion race and then they completely imploded straight after I said that. So maybe I'm a bit worried about that again, but no. I think it's Unless they got really close, I mean one or two points, then I, I'm not going to think about it. I'm just going to appreciate this for what it is and hope for an 11th. Though, to be honest, if the run ended now, that would be more than understandable. They have been sensational, and I just want to say it again, 10 wins in a row. <sighs> we'll talk about what this means to Heidenheim in a bit after we've gone through the other two games in the promotion race. So, I was touring the Milan tour on Saturday morning. I had a really lovely time. It was a, a great tour. And 
great to see so many people from so many countries there. Obviously, a lot of Germans. I was there from England. There were some Dutch, some Spanish, and some Brazilians as well. So it was really nice. But whilst I was touring the Milan tour, another group of people were in a different stadium in Hamburg and having a far less fun time. HSV 6, Hanover 1. Yeah. I think we've known for a while that Stefan Leitl's Hanover weren't going to get promoted this season. They weren't going to be one of the main contenders for promotion. But I don't think any of us saw this coming to be honest. Sonny Kittle would open the scoring for Hamburger wide open in the middle of the box. Laszlo Bene would make it 2-0 before the half-time break. A bad goal kick from Ron Robert Zeeler that HSV would take advantage of. A really good first touch by Bene set up the chance though to give credit to him. 2-0 at the half-time break. So, you know, not a disaster. And it looked like even less of a disaster for Hanover in the 52nd minute when they would make it 2-1. A great hit by Derek Kern. First time into the top corner. One of the best goals of the weekend in Germany. I highly recommend going and looking at it. So, Hanover hadn't been great in the first half. But, you know, there was only one goal down seven minutes into the second half. Who knows what could happen next? Maybe they could turn it around and recover and get something. They did not. They had a complete nightmare through the rest of the game. The 61st minute, Hamburger would be given a penalty. Correct call scored by Laszlo Benet. Then Robert Glatzel would head in a fourth. In the 65th minute, Ransford Euro Königsdorfer would add another in the 76th minute, going through the legs of Antonio Foti as he sat on the ground. Honestly, it was a miracle they even got it in, but... That was just the look Hanover were having that day. And then 6-1, a real pinball sort of goal, tapped in by Ludovic Rice. It was kind of similar to the goals in the mainz Fed bremen game, but with even more incompetent defending from Hanover. The, I don't want to sound negative, and I know I'm going to sound negative and biased against HSV when I say this, but none of our goals were, like, high quality. Like, do you remember we talked about... Heidenheim scoring five a couple of weeks ago against Karlsruhe and four of them were screamers. This game wasn't like that. None of HSV's goals were like outstanding. That's not to take anything away from the players, but you know, they did get a lot of help from Hanover's bad defending. They completely dominated the game. They took advantage of how poor Hanover were playing and they did more than deserve their win. But for Hanover, they've got to be asking a lot of questions about how they were able to lose this poorly because this was a truly abysmal performance from everyone on the pitch for them that day. So Hamburg were able to take advantage of Heidenheim dropping points. So would Darmstadt, who beat Paderborn 2-1. Matthias Bader opening the scoring with a really nice chip from the edge of the box. One of the best goals of the weekend for sure. As per usual... Go and look it up. Florent Muslier would score a penalty though just before half-time for Paderborn. However, in the 59th minute, Braden Manu would score all three points for Darmstadt. A defensive calamity allowing him to run through and score. Some would say that it was an act of a higher power. And Manu would reveal a thank you Jesus message on his base layer. I guess that's what I'd call it. I don't know what you'd call it. Undershirt? 
I'd call it a base layer. But anyway, you know, it's not really the point. I mean, I would argue, personally, that he probably should have been wearing a thank you Ron Schallenberg top because he was really the player who was responsible for that defensive calamity from a Paderborn perspective. So, it was a fairly even game, but I do think Darmstadt probably just about deserved victory, but I'm sure Paderborn fans will disagree with that. What it means for the race for promotion, then, is that Darmstadt remained top, of course, 58 points. Hamburger, 5 points behind them on 53. That's still the same, but obviously Heidenheim on 51 points, now in third place. So Darmstadt, 7 points clear of the promotion playoffs with 7 games to go. So they're looking really strong for promotion now. Obviously, Hamburger and Heidenheim will be tussling for that automatic promotion spot. Then St. Pauli, 4 points behind Heidenheim. So they could still potentially catch up but like I said I I personally feel like it's unlikely but that's just me being a massive pessimist and then Paderborn on 43 they're now eight points behind Heidenheim with seven games to go so that seems unlikely Fortuna Dusseldorf seven behind with seven to go again unlikely I think it's fair to say Armenia Bielefeld two Fortuna Dusseldorf two like I said, this means now that Dusseldorf seven points behind Heidenheim with seven games to go. So, potentially ending their push for promotion unless they go on a really good run to end the season. And then also benefit from Heidenheim and St. Pauli or HSV, I guess, falling apart down the stretch. We had a bad start in this game as well. Fabian Close making it 1-0 in the 20th minute with a volley from close range. Emmanuel Leoa and Felix Klaus would score though in the early stage of the second half to give Dusseldorf a 2-1 lead. Klaus in particular with a really good finish after a great through ball from Daniel Ginzek. One of the assists of the week in the Spider Punch League for sure. Brian Lasme would equalise though in the 84th minute for Armenia Bielefeld, slotting into the bottom corner from outside the box. Dusseldorf definitely did deserve the win out of the two sides. They did have far more chances, more possession, more really good shots. But in the end, Bielefeld able to get a point. They have been so much better under Uwe Koshinat. And yes, they are still deeply entrenched in the relegation battle. Only two points clear of Jan Regensburg in 16th place. But they are moving in the correct direction with their new manager. Jan Regensburg 2, Magdeburg 2. Outside of the St. Pauli Heidenheim game, this is the game I would most urge you to watch the highlights of if you can, because this game had a few really interesting moments, particularly the first two goals. Baris Attic with goal of the weekend for Magdeburg to give them a 1-0 lead of a 10th minute, a long-range free kick dipping into the net, a real thing of beauty from quite a wide angle as well. Really, really good finish. Highly recommend watching it. One of the best free kicks scored in Germany so far this season, to be sure. But the main reason to watch this game is actually the second goal. And the first goal, you know, it's a moment of brilliance. It's absolutely fantastic. The second goal was the exact opposite of that. It was terrible. <laughs> it was a Free Stooges routine. <laughs> Silas Nacker and Dominic Ryman 
just not knowing who should take the ball from a ground cross. They just sort of stood there as it came towards them. It bounced off an acker and straight into his own net. It is one of the funniest goals of the season. It is one that should be on Schweiter Bundesliga blooper reels for a very long time. I, I absolutely love it. It's fantastic. That was to make it one all. by the way, I should say. Seeler Snacker, a Magda, but I don't know if it's Snacker or Gnacker, but, you know, I, I'm going to assume that it's a silent G. But anyway, Nacker plays for Magdeburg. It was an own goal. It meant that the game was at one all at that point. The sides would score one goal apiece after that as well. Magdeburg taking the lead once again in the 80th minute. Daniel Alfadli scoring, not without the help, though, of South Vigo legend Jamie Lawrence, who I think the goal was credited to at first, because I'm sure I saw it as a Jamie Lawrence goal and went, oh my god, he scored! Yes! I'm a massive Jamie Lawrence fan now, just because of how he did for me on Football Manager last year. I mean, sensational. Go and listen to the Thousand Hours podcast if you've not plug because i've mentioned him on that so many times and i mentioned him on this so many times because he's he's just perfect at least in the game i have no knowledge of what he's like in real life outside of the occasional notes i make about him on this podcast anyway really feel like we're getting distracted in the 90th minute khan kaliskana would equalize for jan regensburg two all at full time daniel haber would get sent off for magdeburg before the full time whistle a poor challenge he didn't like the fact he was sent off for this he was absolutely shouting and screaming at anyone who would listen var did actually tell the referee to go and have a look at the monitor but the ref did stick with his original decision and i agree with him for doing so i think it was a red card as well so, to all the final score, Magdeburg will feel robbed, though, out of the two sides because they did create so many better chances. They were the better side throughout this game. If it wasn't for that stupid own goal, <laughs> which is still one of the best things I've ever seen, they would have got all three points. They would have deserved all three points as well. But that one mistake costing them as they hope to move further clear of the relegation places. Still five points clear of 16th place Jan Regensburg with seven games to go. So they could be in a worse position. They could be Sandhausen. More on Sandhausen later. Hans Vostok 2, Holstein Kiel 3. Rick Van Dronglen would open the score for the host of the 12th minute. A neat volley inside the box, similar to Fabian Klose's goal for Armenia Bielefeld. But unlike Armenia Bielefeld, Hansa wouldn't get any points out of this one. They were easily the better side through the first half, but they had a devastating 1-2 punch at the end of the half. The men, they would go into the half-time break 2-1 down. Fabian Riesa scoring in the 44th minute before Philip Sander would score in the second minute of added time. And it got even worse for Hansa straight after the half-time break because two minutes into the second half, Lewis Holtby would make it 3-1. Lewis Holtby has not done a lot of note for Kiel so far this year, at least in my opinion. But these last two games in particular, one against Bielefeld and one against Hansa, he's been one of the star men, if not the star man, for Kiel in those two games. So essentially, in the space of 
five minutes over the course of two halves. Hansa Rostock went from being 1-0 up to being 3-1 down, and that really was the sucker punch they didn't need. Lucas Hinsted did score one in the 53rd minute, with a goal that I think should have been disallowed for a foul, but, you know, it's never here nor there, because they, they lost anyway. But Keel defended well for the rest of the game. They did deserve their win in the end. That devastating three-goal punch around the half-time mark really killing Hansa Rostock's momentum in this game as they start to get separated from the guaranteed safety places. They're now four points behind Eintracht Braunschweig with seven games to go. Sandhausen nil, Greuter Firth 2, Firth got two quick goals at the beginning of this game, Brunemir Hugotta with a good hit on the volley in the ninth minute, followed by Ragnar Asher. I've been saying Ragnar Asher, but apparently it's Acher. So Ragnar Acher with a neat finish in the 26th minute after being played through well by Hugotta. Absolutely fantastic from him. And Greuter Firth were able to hold on for the rest of the game quite comfortably. Thomas Aval would be sent off towards the end of the game. Given a red card by the referee, he would then, the Sandhausen manager, be given a figurative red card by his club. He has been sacked as the manager of Sandhausen. And we'll say there have been more successful tenures in football management in the past. He had six games in charge of Sandhausen since taking over in match day 21. Two draws and four defeats. So I think it's safe to say that Sandhausen haven't been getting better with Aral at the helm. And they are now starting to get seriously distanced from any chance of safety. Six points behind Jan Regensburg with seven games to go. And eight points behind 15th place Eintracht Braunschweig. So not looking good for them at the moment. This might have changed as of points of publication and as of point of you listening to it. But it looks like Sandhausen are going to go with two interim managers between now and the end of the season. Gerhard Kleppinger and Oscar Corachano will be taking over as interim managers until the end of the season. So, yeah, it's good. It's looking great. Didn't Ezra Gial do that last year? I'm sure Ezra Gial did that as well. And, well, you'll notice they're not in the Spider Bunch League at the moment. And to be honest, I have no faith that Sandhausen will be either. It would be a masterful escape if they are able to get out of their current predicament from here. Eintracht Braunschweig 1, Kaiserslautern 0. This is making it harder for Sandhausen and those other teams trapped in relegation places. A big three points potentially for Eintracht Braunschweig. The only goal of the game coming from Anthony Uja in the 76th minute, chipping the keeper following a good ball from Maurice Multaup. It was a really aggressive game, this one. It felt like players from both sides were going to ground often. Emmanuel Ferrari would have to be stretched off. Kaiserslautern did generate a lot of chances, but failed to convert. I feel like the most fitting sort of image for how their game went was Ben Zielinski hitting the bar with absolutely no challenge from the keeper. The keeper, you know, it wasn't an open net because the keeper was on the ground in front of the net. But all he had to do was like slightly raise it over him to score. And yet he managed to hit the bar. So, great. Anyway, final game to mention. Nuremberg won, Karlsruhe won. Mikhail Kaufmann scoring for Karlsruhe. Quadro Dua scoring a penalty in the 94th minute. Dua had previously had two goals disallowed for offside. So, I mean, he's a regular penalty taker. But it felt like he deserved the chance to take that penalty anyway and get his goal marginal offsides on both of them as well 
Nuremberg probably could have had a lot more as well, but to be honest, a draw, probably about the correct result. Anyway, let's have a look at the fighter Bundesliga table then after 27 match days. We've already gone into the top of the league, but we'll do it again. Darmstadt 58, Hamburg 53, Heidenheim 51, St. Pauli 47, Fortune Dusseldorf 44, Paderborn 43. Feels like the top three are probably going to remain in the top three, but St. Pauli do have a chance to challenge for one of those places, and it feels like Dusseldorf and Paderborn's campaigns are probably over at this point. At the wrong end of the table, Sandhausen on 21 points, not looking particularly good for them at the moment. Hansa in 17th on 25, Jan Regensburg in 16th on 27, Eintracht Braunschweig 15th on 29, Armenia Bielefeld 14th on 29, Nuremberg 13th on 30, Magdeburg 12th on 32, Firth 11th on 33, all in the relegation battle. And I guess you could say 10th, Hanover on 34 also in that battle as well. To round up the places we've not discussed, Karlsruhe 9th, 36th, Kiel 8th, 37th, and Kaiserslautern 7th on 40. Okay, we're going to briefly go through the DFB Pacal quarterfinals now. I am very aware that this episode is coming out late because of travel stuff, and I'm very aware that the DFB Pacal was over a week ago now, so we will very briefly run through the game. Starting off with Eintracht Frankfurt 2 Union Berlin 0. Two goals of a space of three minutes winning this game for Eintracht Frankfurt, both from Randolph Kalamwani in the 11th and 13th minutes. The first one, an amazing assist from Mario Goethe to provide for Mwani. was also given the assist for the second goal, but this time really bad goalkeeping from Leonard Grill, sort of finding himself in absolute no-man's land to allow Mwani a good finish, but a good finish that was aided by Grill's really poor positioning. Eintracht Frankfurt never really felt challenged after that. They did hold on for a comfortable win in the end. They did deserve to go through. Of course, the biggest game of one that's been most talked about since from this round of the DFB Pokal, Bayern Munich won Freiburg 2. Absolutely fantastic. Freiburg obviously made... The DFB Pokal final last year, Christian Strike continuing to work wonders with this Freiburg side. We've been used to this now for a very long time. But they held on at points against Bayern, and actually a repeating theme of these two games have had against them in League and Cup. Mark Flecken with sensational performances in both games. He was absolutely fantastic in this game. He was somehow even better in the game of the Bundesliga, which they weren't able to win. But it all came down to the final few minutes. First of all, Diop Meccano headed Bayern Munich into the lead before Nicolas Soffler would equalise in the 27th minute. Bayern dominated most of the rest of the game after that. But in the 95th minute, Jamal Musiala committing handball inside the box. It was a clear penalty given by the referee and Lucas Allaire would slot in to give Freiburg the win. Go and look for highlights if you haven't had the chance to, of course, because this is one of the best games in the DFB Pokal this season. I know I'm biased against Bayern at points, but this game was absolutely sensational, so just go and watch it anyway. Of course, the game itself was dramatic, but then after the game you had... 
Jamal Musiala refuses to shake Christian Strike's hand, which, as mentioned, he's apologised for. I think he's also sent him a shirt or something as an apology, which is, is nice of him. And, obviously, you sort of forgive him to some extent, or more than you normally would because he's young, he's, you know, bound to make mistakes. But then you also had the reports of Oliver Kahn and the team storming into the dressing room and players shouting it's just not effing good enough and stuff like that. And I said on the emergency pod talking about Nagelsmann's firing that if they didn't win the treble this year, there were going to be questions asked because Julian Nagelsmann did seemingly have them on course to win the treble. And of course, this is only one game, but it's one game that is absolutely monumental to Bayern Munich's season and their plans to win everything, which have obviously gone out the window as a result of this game and could be going out the window further because of another game we'll be talking about in a bit. The whole atmosphere around Bayern Munich at the moment is just rotten and it's clear, if it wasn't clear already, that Julian Nagelsmann was not the problem at Bayern Munich. I think that's more than safe to say. But Freiburg go through to the semi-finals. They're facing a similar opponent in those semi-finals. More on that in a bit. Nuremberg nil, Stuttgart won the final Fighter Bundesliga side, falling in the quarterfinals of the FB Pokal. The only goal of this game coming in the 83rd minute from Enzo Milo. And this was Sebastian Hernandez's first game in charge. They were easily the best side. They did deserve the win quite comfortably as well. Final game to mention. Leipzig 2, Borussia Dortmund 0. Timo Werner opening the scoring of the 22nd minute. Vili Orban scoring one more in the 98th minute. And the same criticism of Borussia Dortmund that reared its ugly head after the buying game and sort of come to the fore once again because when this side play in the big games they just seem to shrink they cannot produce when it matters most they are anti-clutch they just cannot do it in these big occasions and Jude Bellingham was seen storming off after the game swearing kind of similar to the Bayern Munich players going every time it's the same and a word that rhymes with fit it's hard to say why this keeps happening. Maybe it's the tactics of Erdin Terzic. Maybe it's just the mentality of the team, the mentality of the club. But this was an unacceptable performance on Borussia Dortmund. They entered this game as favourites. Remember where Leipzig were before this game with the loss to Bochum and the loss to Mainz as well. They were the clear underdogs for this game against BVB. And they absolutely flattened them. And... You know, I think Marco Rosa deserves a lot of credit for how he's done this season for the most part. But this wasn't on him. This was on Borussia Dortmund. Then again, two for two against Erdin Terzic and against his former employees. So maybe it does have something to do with him. So obviously the draw for the semi-final of the DFB Pakal has been completed. And there is a repeat of last week's final. Freiburg taking on Leipzig on, well, both Games currently scheduled for May 2nd. I assume one of them will be moved so that they're not on at the same time. Stuttgart against Frankfurt being the other semi-final. So, you know, I'm not going to tell you what I want, but I think you can guess and fingers crossed for that. Going Deutsch goes Continental, obviously two games to mention here. And like I said, when Bayern sacked Nagelsmann, there was sort of this understanding that anything short of winning a treble would be failure because Nagelsmann had them on course to win a treble and a large part of that 
was how well they were doing in the Champions League. They pretty much walked through all of their opponents. And all of our opponents weren't like Victoria Pluson and Rangers. It was really good sides. It was, I think Victoria Pluson was one of their sides actually. But it was also Barcelona, Inter Milan, PSG. So they were doing really well. And they were the clear favourites for the competition under Julian Nagelsmann. I think that's more than safe to say. Anyway, Manchester City 3 by Munich nil. Yeah, this was not a good game for Thomas Tuchel. Rodri, Bernardo Silva and Erling Haaland. Remember him? He was apparently good for Dortmund for a bit. Scoring for Manchester City in this game. Thomas Tuchel tried to put on a brave face afterwards. He said he had a lot of fun. He was really happy with how Bayern Munich played. But this... Considering where they were in the Champions League, considering what it looked like they were going to be able to do, this is a really bad result. And obviously, barring a miracle, they will be knocked out at the quarter-final stage, which is very shocking, obviously, considering where they were under Julian Augsburg. They took the decision to fire him, and it's backfiring royally at the moment. Of course, Weirder was to come, and it was part of the reason why I delayed this podcast through to now, so I could talk about it, Sadio Mane punched Leroy Sane, and I might not have the most well-rounded view of Sadio Mane, obviously I knew about him at Liverpool, it's not like I don't watch the Premier League at all or anything, but I don't watch them as heavily as, you know, Bundesliga sides, and I had an opinion of Mane based off, you know, small pieces of media, but I always thought Mane was meant to be really sort of kind and likeable, and maybe that's the case, you know, maybe this was just a complete breaking of character for a momentary lapse of his character or whatever, but this is truly shocking, if I had been told a buying player had punched another buying player, which buying player was it, it would have taken a while for me to guess Sadio Mane was the player, I... I am genuinely beyond stunned. He had a really bad game in this one after coming on as a second-half substitute. And then for him to lash out at a fellow player just seems really out of character. Maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe Bayern fans can tell me this has been coming for quite a while and that Mane is a diva. But to be honest, if he is a diva, then it's probably FC Hollywood that have made him so. Because he never seems to be this sort of player at Liverpool. Then again, Liverpool fans... Could tell me I'm wrong on that count as well. Bayern Munich have taken action. They've suspended him for the game against Hoffenheim. He won't feature in the squad at all. But to be honest, this for me should mean that he never plays for the club again. You cannot attack a fellow professional footballer in your own side in particular and then expect to be able to play for the club ever again. It would be... I guess, more than enough for a dismissal for Bayern Munich to essentially break their contract with him, and I'm sure the German courts would allow them to. I might be wrong, but I don't know where he goes from here at Bayern Munich, and considering how great the signing looked at the start of the season, it has truly turned into a complete catastrophe for both Sadio Mane and for Bayern Munich as well. But yeah, FC Hollywood continuing to be FC Hollywood and the two matches in the Cups for Champions League of the DFB Pacal really 
proving the buying board's decision to sack Nogsman has been completely wrong. One more game from Europe, it's only just finished as I'm recording this, Bayer Leverkusen 1, Union Saint-Gilois 1. For a lot of this game it looked like Bayer Leverkusen weren't going to get anything out of it, Victor Boniface who has been absolutely fantastic for Union so far this year, putting the side of the lead in the 51st minute, a really neat finish from him, but bettered by Florian Wurtz's finish in the 82nd minute, passing it into the net from far out. Before that, Bayer Leverkusen's finishing was a complete disaster. They were absolutely terrible finishing-wise through most of this game. They were creating chances, but they weren't getting any of them anywhere close to the goal, to be perfectly honest. Union Saint-Gilois would hold on for the draw because after that goal went in, Bayer Leverkusen obviously in the ascendancy. And it is really hard to beat Union Saint-Gilois at home ground, but obviously Bayer Leverkusen, with how they've been playing under Xabi Alonso recently, have every chance of doing so. Of course, Union Saint-Gilois also have a very strong chance of continuing their fairytale run in Europe. And at this point, you probably still have to say that they're favourites to advance to the semi-finals. Dritter Liga, and it is going to have to be a quick review this time, but Alversberg have won their second game in a row, 3-2 against Victoria Köln. They are seven points clear of second place Vehen, who have really picked up form recently. Four wins on the bounce, though. Alversberg do have a game in hand, I should say. They beat Oldenburg 2-1 away from home. Freiburg try no winning four and two losses on the bounce. Two one defeat this time to Waldhof Mannheim. So Alversburg sixty-six, Behan fifty-nine, Freiburg Schrei fifty-nine, Dynamo Dresden still in the other promotion well in the only promotion playoff place I should say a 2-1 win against Rottweiss SMR on fifty-six, three points clear of Saarbrook and who drew two all with Zwakau. Osnabrück, meanwhile, have lost two on the bounce. They lost 3 0 away at 1860 Munich in a game I was able to watch because it was on national television. It was on whatever Channel 3 is. I remember seeing the logo. I can't remember what it was, though. I think it was Dritter something something. That would make sense, at least, anyway. <laughs> at the wrong end of the table, Meppen still bottom. They lost 3 0 to Ingolstadt. They're on 24 points. Oldenburg on 27, as mentioned, losing to Vehen. Zwakau on 28. They drew 2 all with Saarbrück and Bayboyf are on 31. And in the relegation places, once again, after a 4-1 loss to Verl. Hallescher, meanwhile, they've been on a good run of form recently. 5 without defeat and a 5-2 win against Azerbaijan, moving them out of relegation places. Borussia Dortmund Schwei, oh, by the way, Hallescher on 32. Borussia Dortmund Schwei also moving in the correct direction. It's 10 points on their last four games after a 5-0 win away at Duisburg. Final thing then for this week, top spiel de Wochenende. Starting off in the Bundesliga, Schalke against Hertha Berlin, the ultimate relegation six-pointer. Schalke bottom of the league on 21 points. Hertha second bottom on 22. A vital game in the battle against relegation. I think it's more than safe to say that is a Friday 8 
8.30 kickoff. Also look out for Bayer Leverkusen travelling to Wolfsburg because that's going to be a really good game as well. In this fight of Bundesliga, Fortuna Dusseldorf against Darmstadt. Darmstadt are closing in on promotion back to the Bundesliga, but they're not there yet. Seven points clear with seven games to go. They've got a tough test against a Dusseldorf side who may or may not still be dreaming about promotion themselves. So they are seven points off Heidenheim with seven games to go. That is a Sunday 1.30 kickoff. And in the Dritter Liga, I'm going to go with Osnabrück against Alversburg. Alversburg also closing in on promotion. Seven points clear of Vehan with eight games to go for Alversburg. They have a game in hand over Vehan. They've been picking up form again recently. Osnabrück have been dropping off in form. Obviously, two losses on the bounce. They need to turn their form around. They're five points behind Dinamo Dresden with seven to go. It is a Saturday, two o'clock kickoff. All times, by the way, there were given in Central European time. If you want the UK time, knock off one hour. So that's all the time we have on the Going Deutsch podcast today. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next week with more from the world of German football. But for the time being, I'll answer some of those questions. The Alton first arrive was two trains and one tram away from Alexander Platz. So it's easy enough to get to on public transport, but it could be a bit simpler. It was easier to get to the Milan Tour in St. Pauli, for example. And I was surprised to hear that the Milan Tour had a full-time kindergarten in the stadium. And if you are a member of the kindergarten, you can get free tickets to St. Paulo games. So that was absolutely fantastic. Anyway, also I ate a lot of Cubbyburst whilst I was there. I've been Alex Woodward, and until we meet again, I'll be the same.